Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Olivia. Hi, I'm Maz. And this week we've watched Cogenitor, and now we're going to argue about whether it's going to make us quit Star Trek. I feel like I've been bullied. <laughs> like watching this left me with such an overwhelming and sincere sense of sadness and defeat. I just, I want to know why they decided to link being non-gender conforming with sex slavery. I just want to know why. It tends to leave uh, no, me I'm just gonna, furious. It's, it's been a long time on this podcast since, but I'm just going <laughs> to... Open there a beer into the mic because it's my moment. <laughs> you know, this would have been an excellent episode if it had been written by a a woman or be a non-binary person. <laughs> or, or any anyone. But, anyone, or anyone who's not a straight from... cis man. I'm sorry. I you know, actually, I'm gonna extend it further. I think this would be the better episode if Rick Berman hadn't written it. That yeah, too. I think anyone else could have done this better justice. Because I don't actually think the flaws with it are the sort of concept. I think the flaw with it is how the plot was written. I think the synopsis and concept of how do you deal with a, cult a culture like that and how do you challenge it morally is interesting and something I'd write about. But I don't I think I should, Berman should be allowed within 500 miles of it. Yeah, they didn't have the capacity to have a story about gender mixed with the prime directive sort of thing because it just felt it's two bad cards it's got yeah. bugger all to do with the prime directive and actually we saw a hint of something prime directive e in the episode like when it's the episode all the time does... fucking violating it the vissiers are handing out <laughs> the vissiers are doing more cultural damage than the british army did in, when it marched through africa yeah <laughs> but mm, i'll take this back to the title screen I was very surprised to see that this one was directed by LeVar Burton. But then I kind of stopped and thought, actually, that explains why some of it is good. It does explain why the bits where Archer and Jakar go and vibe in the fucking... Did mm. you catch that, Olivia? The Vissian captain is Jakar. Oh, oh. On oh is five. this B5 theft? Yeah, it, you know, it's part of the debate. Yeah. That's the actor. It's the same actor. It's Jakar. Oh, I did not notice that. He's also yeah, I was too distraught. From TNG. Oh, I should have recognised him for that. So yeah. sorry. Tracking you. Olivia. I'm buying you a Christmas present now. Oh, true yeah, um, There's so much to talk about. But oh, God, yeah. Okay, can I start with something really random? Sure. Okay. The justification for the treatment of the cogenitors. The Vissians say, well, they're basically, you know, they're mentally deficient. They are, you know, they're not really people. They're basically mentally, they're animals, you know. We have to treat them like this. We're basically doing them a favor. They wouldn't be able to take care of themselves. Where have we heard that before? And then it, and then when they are faced, when in a throwaway line, it seems, they are told, hey, uh, you know that your cogenitor is every bit as mentally capable as the rest of you and is in all ways, except the way that you treat them, you're equal. None of them look surprised. 
Oh yeah. Oh I, shit. I did, just, I did like assume that it was um, intentional, like it just sort of I mean, ended up that they'd. See, that's what I doubt, I doubt there, it was right? written that way. I doubt it was written with that sort of intelligence. Which it might have been directed. It's probably Lavar Burton. Yeah, I do wonder if Lavar Burton directed that because that bit. Yeah. I mean, it's in the way it leads into is interesting because just to run from the beginning. Yeah, sorry, I'm so bad. No, it's okay. That's an important thing to think about from the start is that that is just a kind of, just, just to remember that context. Because we go and they're looking at a hyper giant, which for people who aren't fucking nerds, the start's about to explode. There you go, Olivia. You're welcome. Very exciting. <laughs> and they, they spot another ship, and this ship's like, "Oh, do you want to you want to get our technology?" And Arch is like, "Yeah, all right. Do you want to come to dinner?" Yeah, they're suspiciously friendly. It's all good. And Archer, you know, he goes, he becomes buddies with this captain who seems like a nice young man. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Arch to trip feeding alien women ice cream sundaes, which um. How dare he? Cheating, and then Reed attempting to be a slut. As soon as I saw that Reed was going to be speaking to women, I was in fear. So I was never comfortable for a single moment of this episode. You know, we go from one cringe, we go from cringe to fear, because we go from, oh God, Malcolm talking to women, to Trip sits down with the chief engineer and his wife and his other person, and he tries to shake hands with the other person, and they're like, oh, don't worry, it's our congenitor. It's only there for us to um, procreate. And you can just suddenly see in Trip's eyes, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a horrible starting point. And I also, I'm not sure, are they surrogates? Or are they sex slaves? Or have we what have it been terrified? I well, think what Fox says. says is, what is it, that they provide probably... an enzyme to allow mm. for uh, um, conception. conception. So basically, way? sex slaves. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it's entirely unclear what the congenitor does. Don't worry, because Flock. I mean, we could have learned, but Flox, but Trip decided not to watch Flox's instructional video. Which is <laughs> odd. Damn like, it, Trip. Because Trip was asking about that, and then when Flox says, "Oh, I can tell you," he goes, "Wait, no, I don't want to know." <laughs> like, yeah, well, has probably traumatized him one too many times. <laughs> That's true. I feel like every day somebody on the NXO one gets traumatized by Flocks in some weird way. Mm-hmm. Like he does something like, Did you know, Bowley and Poo can dissolve can dissolve metal, and you're just sort of like, so am I too well, fine? <laughs> so <sighs> this is it's sort of weird because like Cart Street Archer having a fun adventure time. I so do not care about that plot. Yeah. No. It's so unimportant. It's... And he's, he's so unconcerned. I really dis I really dislike Archer this episode. He's really Gee, just oh not, no, th- not this being is the episode. This is the episode that made me wonder if Archer was always meant to be a villain and it had just taken me two seasons to to work it out because I'm slow. I think it's I think Archer in this episode very much comes across as somebody who just didn't want to be involved with something because he was having too much fun mm-hmm. and then has to actually face it. But also he's a coward. Because mm-hmm. Archer only ever seems to have the courage of his convictions when he has the upper hand. He did not have the upper hand with the Vissians, so he rolled over and then later took it out on trip. Yeah. Yeah. 
Can you imagine Picard in the same situation? I mean, I've skipped so far ahead, I'm sorry. But when you've got no. the captain, <laughs> when you've got the captain, our Starfleet captain, saying to these people who have shown up and they've been so genteel and hospitable and they've been sharing their technology and they've been hitting it off like, you know, they've been like, they've been getting on like a house on fire, but, you know, presumably with less death. Um, and then we find out that these genteel, hospitable, sophisticated people keep slaves yeah and then it's i mean to be fair picard is pals with a klingon empire who you know that is true friendly reminder wharf probably owned slaves you know it's never explicit though it's never explicit it's never explicit but there is you know Hmm. (laughs) imagine though in in that exchange where he's like hey uh someone's asked me for asylum i have to at least consider it you know that's that's what we do if people ask us for asylum we have to consider it yeah dude says says, okay well what if we offered asylum to some of your slaves hmm and i'm just like like, we don't have slaves and then the other dude's like yeah well in my culture we do and then arch is like i cannot argue with that logic and i'm not going to try I do love that bit because the way he's like, Archer's like, they're not our slaves. And like, the end, it's just like, oh, well, you see how you can make cultural misappropriation. I know, like, right? Complete deflection. Complete deflection. Nothing to do with I think possibly they realized they could not write that scene and address that point. But yeah, because like, Anyway, what I was trying to say. No, uh, when, we get, when we get to the ending, we'll get yes, to the end because yes. there's so much to talk about there. So much. Because then there's this sort of middle bit that goes on for slightly too long where it Trip really does. teaches... This is the other thing, is that the episode should focus more on the debate and not Trip showing this person fucking the day the earth stood still. No, please. This was the only thing that was giving me strength. It was just a, a simple, wholesome time where they weren't trying to teach me some horrible lesson about gender. They were just watching a film and he was teaching her to read. You know, I don't think gender actually had anything to do with it. You could have told the exact same story. The exact same story. That's why that was why it was my safe space. Mm. That was why I was my safe space in that episode. Um, So basically, Tripp's talking to Nepal about it and Nepal being a Vulcan. She's so out of character this episode. Well, it sort of fits within Vulcan attitudes of the time of basically, personally, if it's not our business, we don't give a fuck. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, when she's like, um, you know, don't judge other people. Remember, this is from, she's coming from a culture who believes that humans are basically children. So she's basically like, I'm not going to judge these people. It's not my place, which, sure. Who is so inattentive and useless? If you're going to, but like, if you're going to have contact and you're going to be interacting with these people on a positive level, how can you not at least have the possibility of going, oh, okay, (laughs) yeah, no, we don't like that. I mean, as as soon as flocks realised that they were genetically the same, had the same mental capacity. Was that not reported? That, that was reported to Archer, right? No, because this is there the was trick no the episode of... does. Well, this is, is it's, it's, Archer, 
It puts Archer on a shuttle out of contact for five days. And, he and looks at her son, so he can't get involved. Yeah. I mean, there's so many points in this episode where a really good point gets made, and then they have no way of moving forward to the place they want to get to next. So they cut that person off mid-sentence. Their lazy writing made this seem malicious. At times it really felt like they were actively doing damage, like trying to do damage. But they're just not, they just weren't good. And it feels like so many Enterprise episodes where the story is chugging along, doing its own thing. It's fine, it's developing fairly organically. I mean, forgiven value. And then Archer comes in at the last minute and has to make it all about him. And suddenly everything goes off the rails. He is Space George W. Kind of, yeah. He's Space George W. He's, he's wearing a cowboy hat and going to Iraq. Hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, we do get a fun bit, which is um, when Malcolm is showing this um, Vissian tactical officer cheese and fruit, <laughs> and he talks about food, um, human fruit being aromatically bland. And the sound of an Englishman going, oh, our food is considered aromatically bland with a bit of snide. It's just like... Mm, you're gonna mm. turn the hole next to Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. Bread sandwich. Like, hey um, there, Mark. Malcolm, why is walking stereotype so read? Yeah, oh. he's a great British stereotype, isn't he? I mean, why is she so interested in him? What was this? What was the attraction? His well, bland You know nature? what I think it is? It's the it's that love actually, you know the love actually sing where what's his name? Chris Marshall got um, racist, slightly, um, most definitely racist, Destin Paradise Man goes to America and shags. You know that subplot from Love Actually? I don't recall, but just the nature of being slightly different is what I assumed was attracting to her, her to him. Yeah, just... you know, is British people, so British people are somehow, well, it's psychologically apparently, British people are the perfect kind of exotic because we speak the same language and have similar enough customs. So that is oh. not terrifying, but it's still exciting difference. I'm sure that works for some people. Definitely works for Malcolm, unfortunately. Well, we never see where that leads. I was devastated for him. Oh, we do. Well, we do, sort of. I think we're supposed to just assume that once the camera had cut away, they had a quickie in the phase cannon assembly room. Well, considering that he said, um, we have a saying on us, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. That was so cringe. Oh my god. Gene's vision. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm recoiling into myself. (laughs) I mean, we don't even get like a loving goodbye was my point, but yeah, we got that lovely quote. So you'd think they could at least spare a couple of minutes, you know, while they're saying It's like they have a friendly goodbye before they get that subspace message, which is so tacked on. But, you know, they have a friendly goodbye. They could have had them exchanging knowing glances. Do we want to see Malcolm attempt a knowing glance? And then she's got a look of morbid disappointment on the face. I know Dominic Keating could do a knowing glance, but I don't think Malcolm could. I think he'd probably just come off as a bit of a psychopath. It'd be like this. Oh. I just suppose this is an audio format, so that didn't work for <laughs> everyone else listening, but uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to see that expression? I don't know. Doorstep me. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, we have this sequence of Trip showing the cogenitor, teaching her to read and explore and showing her things. And we're seeing her. I don't know if we said this when we were recording or not. I've already forgotten. But does she ever pick her pronouns or is this Trip's choice? Because I never saw them express any desire. That's the funny thing. It's a huge thing to overlook in an episode that's supposed to be progressive about gender. I really don't it's think they would treat her a character. But that's yeah, the funny but thing. If they were, okay, here's a, it just feels like, uh, they, I don't know what, like, Star Trek usually is trying to uplift all these different demographics with the diversity it's showing. This really, really felt like they were just checking a box of, well, we've said the word gender, we've used the subject, but we're really not going to put any more effort, much effort in besides mm-hmm. that. Because that would have been it's a basic also, thing in the yes, story, just really to have them say. About. I mean, that is a weird thing that I noticed that I was mentioning uh, before we recorded, that even though Trip is the one who's advocating for Charles, as the cogenitor chooses to be called, he calls he calls them it throughout. The only person who actually refer who actually uses, you know, humanoid or you know person pronouns uh, sorry to anyone who does refer to themselves as it but the only person who uses pronouns for the cogenitor that you wouldn't use for an inanimate object is actually archer which is kind of weird given mm. his given what else he does and i definitely yeah, so- didn't expect them to go into this sort of detail but the fact that they made it pronouns seem like just connecting a lot of slavery again and just it wasn't a Great. Yeah, it's some. I mean, this is the thing about this episode is that deliberate depersonification. It was a deliberate. Yeah, that is deliberate personification. That's an explicit thing. It's done. But I just, I don't think this episode would consider any was ever written with anything as we'd understand of modern gender discourse or understanding. Like it just wasn't. No, I mean, which means and the only reason I'm referring it to like it is is because people are very annoyingly mm-hmm. refer to this one and the TNG one as the two great gender episodes for when they've got Star Trek bugger all to we do, do with gender. Yes, I, that was that was the point I was getting to. It's failure around the subject. It's because yeah, this exact same story could have been told with two genders if all the this who came aboard you know as engineers and officers had been male and the cogenitor had been female the story or, could have been exactly the same yeah or even if that some of the females of the species carry, carry, carry the other some can't there were ways for it to work but i even i just i think the point you're getting olivia is why it's fuck it fucks off is that people assume people triumphalize it Mm. when perhaps this is more interesting as a story about you know the moral question in general even and also how much can you speak truth to power when yeah how much can you speak truth to power yourself and what position do we have to question other culture you know the the long-standing prime director question of how what is our place to challenge another culture like can you imagine the picardian monologue that we would have had in that conference room. I just get he would, it. <laughs> possibly, but he would have given this great long speech about how 
even though we are less technologically advanced than you, we have our own principles and we stick to them. You know, yeah. We, we we are in no position to judge you, but we are but we can choose not to condone these condone this yeah. practice by continuing with this relationship. Sorry, bye. And this is why Archer is so lacking to me. I I kind of made a joke like I don't understand his morals. I don't know what he, he is, what he stands for, what is his like establishment. He it, he just seems like a paper bag. And it doesn't even they haven't even nothing. got with this one the whole. Archer's figuring it out as he goes along. What is all that bollocks with him saying, oh, well, I must not have done very well at, as be, uh, at being a good example for you? Since when was he trying? But also more important... evidence that he was trying to set an example for anyone. But also what? more to the point, there are several examples of Archer doing equally dodgy shit. <laughs> oh, what was he on his high horse today? Yeah. He, you basically he got to ride in a fun shuttle. That's why he's on his high. He wants to ride Gosh. in a fun shuttle again. Exactly. That's the whole he's thing. He's such a dick. And if anything, the eventual suicide is his fault. So I don't know why yeah, he's I mean, coming uh, in. You know, I used to think that. But then I kind of thought it over because, you know, uh, you know, because, you know, I want to blame Archer because he is such a colossal <laughs> shit about this whole thing. But that's actually not any more fair than blaming Trip. Because yet yeah, Archer is more to blame than Trip because his intervention was actively malicious where Trip was trying to help, but neither of them created the situation that Charles would rather die than stay in. The yeah. actual villains of this story are the Vissians. Of it, course, it the but people who, he... yeah. I mean, when we we think of Starfleet as this, you know, Picard would have saved the day, is what I think. You know, I don't, don't make think me Picard... praise TNG. Okay, don't well, make me I think Picard, Picard would have. I think Picard would have sacrificed the promise of a really uh, profitable relationship with the Vissians, mm -hmm. or at least he would have. At least he would have threatened to sacrifice having a relationship with maybe, this with these people, even if just maybe, as a bluff. I think it's also that the situation that, would be different. Yeah, maybe but, the issue is that. Enterprise, you know, us trying to establish what we see as the Federation, whereas I don't know. Yeah, it's, great, like, he had a good gig. Like Archer's <laughs> trying to make a good impression and a impression to people who are clearly much more powerful than him. Yep. You know, yeah. like it or not, diplomatic situation or not, Picard is always talking from a position of power, you know. Yeah. He commands true. a battleship in, in a galactic as a Definitely. member of a galactic superpower. Even at you know. He is in some, even if he is bound by the prime directive, he is in a position, psychological position about. He knows that he has something to go back on and he's part of an established situation. There is an order of things that will accept certain points and certain objections. Archer is literally laying the rules down as he goes. Mm. Well, yeah. And that's, that means that should have been the focus of the episode. So Archer is trying to basically underline what Starfleet's diplomatic position will be in these kind of situations. He has to make that policy for the that first would have time been right, great. Here, right now. Yeah. That would have been a great plot if we yeah. had that plot. If they had <laughs> ever raised it. You see, what I would have done, honestly, and this is me being a cunning and horrible little writer, because I'd have made that conflict the focus of the episode. And of Archgoven being friends with this captain to sort of being on the brink of some form of outrage. 
And then I'd have probably still had the cogenitor to commit suicide. Yeah, because you're a sadist. Yes. The problem is that any way that you go about fixing this episode, you can't have Archer being the big man throwing his weight around. No, but I think Archer... And that was what they needed. Well, if you you either have Archer throwing the big man being the big man throwing his weight around, or you make the whole theme of Enterprise, which it shouldn't be, that Archer is is a small... is gone from being a big fish in a small pond. To the small fish in the big pond, and he's and got to least, learn how to deal with that. Yeah, ask the question: How far can you stick to your morals and principles when you're out in, in when you're the under Wild the bat? West? Yeah, yeah. And how instead, we just have him it? on this one-sided, not even considering. Yeah, that that was a he pays absolute lip service to the idea of doing what he should think of as the right thing, but. Because the other p- other party is more powerful, it's just like, yeah, yeah, you know what, you know what, I am so sorry for the inconvenience, I will have your property returned to you immediately. Also, I don't think, I think even worse, the Vissians aren't technically their property. They're the state's property, from what's implied, which is yeah. kind of worse. So the oh, that's way worse. That's, that's way worse. worse. Nationalise yeah. your slaves. It's, yeah, it's odd. And it's not, there's no explanation that, like, how this system developed or whether or not it's a permanent system. I did actually have a thought about that, though, in universe. And I'm sure that I'm thinking about this more than they ever have. But, you know, how the engineer gives the statistic that that 3% of the population are cogenitors. Yeah. Well, if you consider the social role of a cogenitor, nobody... Um, hang on, let me slow myself down a little bit here. That'll be the ADHD. Sorry. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort and faff for a couple to have a baby. How many of those couples are going to go through all of that investment in creating a child only to create a cogenitor? Because, like, sure, cogenitors are necessary, but do you really want your child to be one? No, probably not. So how many, you know, how much of that 3% statistic is nature finding a balance and how much is, well, there are quite a, you know, there are a lot more pregnancies that would have produced a cogenitor, but nobody wants to go through with that. I feel like, yeah, like most chattel slavery systems, it actually makes zero fucking sense the more you think about it. Especially, yeah, it just is, and the entire reason it exists is create, is only sustained by the fact that it exists in the first place. Yeah, it becomes self-justifying. You know, so many of these things do. One of my head canons is that all the species we hear about in Enterprise and never hear again get conquered by the Klingons. I kind of hope that happened to the Vissians. Yeah, because <laughs> they deserved it. Yeah. But yeah, it really jumped out to me um, relatively recently that they're probably an unintentional allegory for like white people in the Deep South. I mean, I am so out of my lane right now that, you know, I can't even see my lane from here. But that really feels like what they are to me, you know? It, this is their normal, and individuals are perfectly lovely and friendly, but they believe some god-awful, heinous shit because they have to, because that's the only way to maintain the system. 
yeah, I think they are, if anything, a very good analogy for that sort of person. You know, the nice... Sm- I mean, in the English context, it's, you know, it's a nice smiling person who treats you right, but then who says very nice things to you and is very nice to you. But, you know, you know what they say when you're not in the room. Mm. And most you can't break, you can't separate those two things. And you never will. Probably most of the residents of Midsummer. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's one of these ones where I'm not entirely sure whether I was deliberate I feel like it can't be. Not when it was written by Berman. The fact that we, spoiler alert, have no trivia for this and therefore have no context for their decision-making is infuriating. Mm. You know, sometimes I, I think that they don't make notes when they know they've made something that might not age well. Yeah. I mean, do you, I really wish you could get like a director's commentary on Netflix because mm. maybe there is a di- maybe there is a commentary on this episode if you've got it on DVD. But, you know, I wasn't going to go trying to dig out anything like that, because... Why not? It's on Netflix. No. It's on Netflix for now. For now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's interesting, because Manny Koto, who was the executive producer on the, the good season of Enterprise, mm. Which said I that he, he, he especially enjoyed this episode. And here's the thing, is I, under, I actually think I can understand why he said that. Because compared to the other fare of season two of Enterprise, yeah, I, this is interesting. It's thought provoking. I don't. It's not a complete excellent plot. It's flawed it in just, all ways. It just has a really terrible message. Okay, yeah, um, it's sort of like a starter mix of a TNG episode, even though they yeah. didn't finish it. So I know. Yeah, sure. I've just discovered that the 1971 June is on Netflix. Um, yes, it's been advertising that at me. Yeah, so I might have yeah. to watch that later. Anyway, if you look at season two of Enterprise, we have um, Minefield and Dead Stop, which I'm um, fine. Minefield's and, pretty decent. Yeah, Dead Stop, bad. Um, a Night in Sick Bay. <laughs> it was a fever dream, and you can tell. That's the sexy to Paul one. That's the really unconvincing uh, dummy oh. of Porthos one. Never mind. <laughs> um, we have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I, I mean, there's a whole lot of episodes I cannot tell you what happens in. There's Precious Cargo. Oh, God. Um, I think, mm. There's the whole, there's the one where the pole gets AIDS, gets the AIDS allegory. Um, it's clumsy but at at least the message of that one is hey don't be mean to people for things they can't help there is okay no there is one good episode in season two this is ceasefire which is the one with the andorians and the vulcans fighting over that moon that's actually a good episode um there's the one where travis goes home that one could have been good that one Travis had a Travis had a personality that, for like twenty minutes. In that episode, he had a character, or at least the potential for one. Hey, which episode's that? Horizon. Oh gosh. Mm. But it, it's it is oh. one of these fatal flaws of Enterprise. Is that it doesn't know what it's doing by the end of season two. I can think of one thing that's a little trivial. There is one aspirational thing in this episode 
and that is that Phlox is able to give Trip a shot against Omicron that lasts for 12 years. We cannot oh, dream. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, the real question is, is that will, will, will Trip be allowed to go to Christmas parties with that shot? Oh, please. <laughs> well, that depends. Uh, mm. If you're an American listener and you have no idea what we're talking about, Britain is a very sensible country where our key political debate of the week or the month, perhaps, is about the Prime Minister holding, the Prime Minister's staff holding a Christmas party. And not only does this have significant implications for our politics, it has, for the first time in two years, turned the general public against the government. And let's just make it clear, this is happening the same week that two in five black people and almost half of all British Asian people are eligible to lose their citizenship. I can get deported now. <laughs> Under the new borders bill, hell yeah. I could, get, I could technically get deported twice. <laughs> That's a little bonus for the... It's a bonus podcast. British politics. It doesn't make oh, sense. Yeah. It never will. This is a country where you're allowed to get drunk while you deliver the budget. And I think that's a good thing. Mm. Get back. Where are we in this mess? Um, where are we in this mess? Um, why doesn't Enterprise have a plot? Like. What was that? It took the show four seasons to figure out what Archer was doing. Yeah. And that still upsets me. I mean, Enterprise now is sort of I, I know it's the Enterprise Renaissance, but it's kind of depressing to me. It's just this thing that was wasted potential and like it's never going to change. It's, it's over think, it's been a decade. I think the Enterprise Renaissance is something that, something that works because of how much Fanner was perfectly happy to just write the rest of the book now. Mm. Like people are things that people just We're not accept. in the middle of it. Yeah. And even with Discovery, people just write the rest of the book. And we're just happy with that. Like the fact that it's drifting further and further away from Calypso ever actually making sense. Oh no, I, I just think that they're gonna find, the, if, they can, if they can find contrived nonsense to get Discovery back to Calypso, I will congratulate them. But I just think it'd be funny if they just never explain it. Yeah. I just think it would be really funny if That's they tradition. never ever explained how they get there. Because it feels to me like they had forgotten. They basically at the end of, season two like they'd forgotten that they'd done calypso because calypso feels like the crew could go through time you know instantaneously from their perspective but the ship had to be parked up and wait for them to get there so like the ship had to go the long way around and that's why she had time you know why zora had time to develop as an ai and and like we get uh craft talking about the vidrash and the only other time we hear that word is at the beginning of season three and like it feels like Calypso's supposed to take place just before the crew arrive, but then the beginning. Of, but then that's not it very much fits in with the long-standing theory that nobody that, that that Discovery only came up with any sort of coherent plot working at the beginning of season two. So, which um, you know, I think we might. This is my other bugbear, which I'm, I'm sure Olivia's heard me say before. Which is we we should kind of be nicer to television producers, past and present, because. They, they should not have to live in a world where every single thing they do is scrutinised by 400 people on the mm. internet. But yeah, also, Rick Berman can die. That too. <laughs> not physically, By die, I mean no longer have a career. Just to be I feel clear. like there must be a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. There's a that medium between give writers space to write 
Um, like, Rick, like Rick Berman m must be made to sit down in a room full of people who actually know what the fuck they're talking about and go through his creative decisions one by one, explaining to him in detail, but in words of one syllable or less, why he's fucking wrong. I think I'd just tie him to a chair and make him watch Shira. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> well, yeah, after it, it's too good for him. <laughs> gift anyway but yeah it's you know one day we will get more enterprise content of some kind just because i think the fandom would want it and there's probably some money to be made out of giving scott, yeah. scott Bakula some more money to dress up because i mean i'm not much into um the lit verse but it does have like a couple of books doesn't it oh they, the book the lit verse does the whole Roman war and the foundation of the federation basically like the first 10 15 years of the Federation. And it's really good, except for the fact that you can only get some of the books in German. Don't not, read German. Not, not ideal. Right? It's not even like they were written by Germans. For some reason, the e-book e copies of them are only in German. Great. Get the translator out. What we get? Yeah. I, I mean, you would gain an understanding of the events that way, but Oh, I mean, I just... It wouldn't be as horny. Well, actually, it's the Germans. It would be horny, but in a different, more confusing way. It might be more honestly horny. It might not be going, well, we're going to show you tits and ass, but ooh, we can't admit that that's what we're doing. So... You know, the Germans have just have Archer walk, on, walk onto the bridge wearing nothing. Yeah. Because they're honest people. Do you know what? I actually... I very nearly quit on Enterprise in the first episode just because of that decon scene. Just because I found that so, like, so unnecessary, right? So unnecessary that it was framed as, like, we're clearly watching soft porn, but they've had gone to extreme lengths to tell us but it can't possibly actually be sexual because she wouldn't have consented to that. Yes, like, there's an in-universe like, explanation, so it's fine. Do you see how that's worse? <laughs> Yeah. And also, why is he groping her ears? Like, okay, I, I'm not even, and I'm not going to forgive the fact that they show him, you know, smearing goop on her and his fingers literally go into her underwear. But the the whole idea... The detail with which this happens. The whole idea... It sticks in my mind because I fucking hated it. But, like, the whole reason that he's supposed to be putting his hands on her at all is that he's supposed to be getting the bits that she can't reach. So why does he need to touch her ears? Like, that feels like it's a deliberate power play. That is just him intimidating her. That you know, is saying, oh, here's this bit about you that's different. I'm going to touch it and you're not going to stop me. It's, it's very strong, can I touch your hair energy. I didn't want to say that because obviously, yeah, not my experience, but that but it has is what that, I it's, thought. It's, it's, can I touch your hair except why are your hands in your trousers while you're touching my hair? <laughs> And it's not God, even asking, and it's completely unnecessary. And it's like oh, that little dear. moment is only in there to really drive home the fact that this is inappropriate touching. Because we know Vulcans don't particularly like to be touched. We know Vulcans get a little bit self-conscious about their ears when everyone is saying, oh my God, you've got pointy ears, that's so weird. Oh my God, can I touch them? So the fact that he just smears goop all over her and touches a bit that she needs no help touching whatsoever just feels like intimidation 
And you know what? Changes. It just goes downhill from there with Enterprise. And you know what? Cogenitor, it isn't even the bottom of the hill. And oh, I don't know. I mean, the thing that about a Cogenitor to me that makes it so bad is the moral of the story. Because you take Threshold. What Threshold is widely known to be a bad episode. But what makes Threshold bad? The fact that it is so silly. We know that Code of Honor is a bad episode, but what makes Code of Honor bad? The fact that it is presented as such awful racist stereotypes. But neither of those have a story that's actually harmful. Neither of those have a moral that says to the audience, and the attitude that you should have on this subject is this one. Cogenitor actually pretty much comes out and says, because convention in Star Trek, we know this, if the captain of the ship pontificates about a subject towards the end of the episode... That's the message. That's <laughs> the message, and he's right. So yeah. what Cogenitor tells us is, if you make some cool new friends, and they've got really great stuff, and then it turns out that they actually, um, they actually commit atrocious human rights violations, you didn't see that! Because if you challenge them, they might not let you play with their toys anymore. Yeah. It's very early 2000s. Yeah. And this is what I mean when it's saying it fails to uplift people. But, you know, obviously they didn't have the goal to uplift people. I just don't understand what their real It almost feels Star like Trek more was going to be Because I can imagine, if I didn't know who had written this episode, I can imagine it starting life being a moral tale about why you can't you know why slavery is wrong why subjugating an entire you know demographic of your population on the basis of their reproductive capacity is wrong and you shouldn't accept it and then someone went okay that's nice and all but i think what we should be saying is mind your own business and it's not even like it's trying to make a point about how it is really difficult to challenge other people's cultures respectfully when you think they're wrong. Because he doesn't. Because he doesn't, yeah. He just kind of goes, oh, well, I mean, we wouldn't do that. And the Vissians go, yeah, well, we do. And he goes, I'm so sorry, point taken. And then he knows. So, I mean, it's basically, we literally, not, it's, not, it's not like, oh, Archer has his intellectual debate off screen. It's that... Archie, Archie's like, debate. I'll, I'll, I'll debate over it. There's a screen wipe, and then he's made his decision. Yeah. And when he first comes back, why is he angry? Like, when he first comes back, and he's talking to Trip, and he finds out that, okay, so you've made friends with this person, and you shouldn't have done... Why is he already angry in a scene that ends, I don't even know what I would have done? Well, if you don't even know what you would have done, how do you know he's wrong? Because he yeah. has had his new friend. It's... Absolute piss take. Because it's all right when Archer does it, but no one else is allowed to. More of the moral of this story is that um, Archer sucks, and he needed better writing, but he was never going to get that. And that is what we all have to live for with the rest of our lives. But oof. so um, while I debate the fact that Space also Depol kind of sucks as well. Depol will be uh, she gets better. She does. And well, overall, I... I think she was done dirty, but in this episode, it's like they are doing everything they can to make her the mouthpiece for this incredibly unreasonable position. 
Yeah. I mean, I barely noticed her presence, she honestly. She was just there for that momentary, it's all good on this front. And then she was and gone. To say, you've gone against the captain's wishes. How? He was told to befriend the Vissians, and he did. Just not the ones he wanted. Ugh. Yeah. You should have said, befriend the Vissians, but only the rich ones. <clears throat> if you meant that, you should have said that. I do. Well. Yeah, well, I once again contemplate how exactly Rick Byrne was allowed to write anything. Do you have anything to plug to our listeners, Madeline? Uh, anything you'd like them to enjoy? Well, personally, I do nothing. I am very boring. Um, I have nothing to contribute of any value of my own. However, anyone who is not following... Uh, sorry, can I, I can plug someone else, obviously. Yeah, of course. I? Yeah. Sorry, I'm catching myself halfway through a sentence. That's not very helpful. I greatly enjoy the works of Jessie Gender on YouTube. Uh, she is great. She has fantastic analysis. She's a brilliant geek and a nerd and a Trekkie. And um, yeah, if you're not following her, go check her out. Everyone should be following her. She's on the list of people who, if you're not following her, why are you not listening? Why are you listening to this podcast? Go. You have to get her on the pod, actually. We do, actually. You, you know do. what? Yeah. After January Christmas. 2022. Ja- yeah, January 2022, we're going to have a great roster lined up. You know, so. it's kind of like, it feels bad like other Trek podcasts. We've had Al Mari before we've had that, Jesse. Yeah, intimidating much. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. But um, yeah, go check her out. Um, if you want to annoy us, you can find us at Quit Star Trek Pod or email us at iquitstartrek at gmail.com. We haven't had any emails recently. Please send one so we can forget it exists for a month. I'm really sorry, but that will probably be what happens. That's um, me and Twitter all over. It's probably for the best for Twitter. Yeah. If you want to get some merch of ours, you can go to our tea public store and search for I Quit Star Trek. Um, you know, it's Christmas time. Buy, a, buy, your, buy your friends some traumatic Christmas presents. Triplets. Oh, no. That's, that felt like a hint. That felt like a terrifying threat of a hint. That's right, Olivia. I've, I've got bowls of triplets, so I'm going to send them to you, like little symbols. Gosh. <laughs> My demise they're, is coming. They're being made as we speak. No. Or an ice cube tray with, tri- with wrist nipples. Oh, God. <sighs> Ingenious. <laughs> Ingenious and terrifying. But yeah, um, until then, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Madeline. This has been incredibly enjoyable, despite how <laughs> fucking terrible this episode was. <laughs> Yes. It has been great be- chatting with you guys. Yeah. Um, and I hope yeah. I haven't incriminated myself too much. Oh, it's okay. This podcast, no. We're uncancelable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, until next time, don't approve human rights violations tacitly. I endorse that message. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>